Enterprise Management 360, your main source for tech news, analysis, podcasts, and videos for the enterprise. Hello and welcome to this EM360 podcast. My name is Max Curtin, Editor-in-Chief here at EM360 and your host on today's podcast. Today we're going to be looking at preventing potential stuffing attacks with Shape Security. Now, today's threat landscape likes to keep us on our toes, with the increasingly digital landscape introducing more risks than ever. On top of the new arrivals, there's also a number of threats that seem to have persisted over the years. One of these is credential stuffing. Unfortunately, as prevalent and as damaging as it is, there are misunderstandings surrounding the threat, making its mitigation all the more difficult. So here to lend his expertise on the matter, I've got Schumann Ghost Majunda, CTO at Shape Security. And I'd like to welcome you, Schumann, and thank you so much for joining me today. I'm looking forward to kind of dispelling some of the myths and learning a little bit more about stuffing attacks. Thanks for having me, Max. Anytime. I think a good starting off point with this podcast is to give an overview of what credential stuffing is and mainly where it typically occurs. So what can you tell us about that? So credential stuffing is the use of stolen credentials, meaning primarily usernames and passwords from one system to break into or take over accounts on completely unrelated systems where the same users also have accounts and have reused the same passwords. So this happens on every major type of account system that there is, from banks to retailers to airlines and government agencies. And it's one of the most prevalent types of attacks on the internet today. And it really is a widespread issue. And as I mentioned in the intro, it's it's not really well understood and it, it leads to that kind of misleading information. So what kind of misleading information are we talking about here and, and what does it suggest? So some people think that A credential stuffing attack is the same thing as a password guessing attack, where the cyber criminal is just trying many different password combinations to see how to be able to get into a particular user's account. But it's actually a very different type of attack, because you can't really guess passwords randomly on websites anymore. At least you can't do that for the last couple of decades, because most systems have controls in place where after a few tries, they'll lock you out for 24 hours or longer. And so you have to be able to guess billions of times in order to be able to figure out the password for a particular account. And of course, that's what you do when you're a cyber criminal and you've obtained a set of passwords from a given website, but those passwords are stored in hashed form. So you run a brute force algorithm to be able to crack those hashes and that's when you are actually guessing many different combinations in order to try and figure out what the particular password for an account is. Now, the hashing algorithm that the website was using is weak enough, then that's a practical way for the cybercriminal to be able to get all of the passwords that they've stolen in that hashed form. But a credential stuffing attack doesn't work that way. It's not a brute force attack. It's a statistical one. So You just guess each username and password combination once based on the usernames and passwords that you've stolen from site A when you're trying them on site B, and you'll either get in or you won't. If you don't get in to a particular account, you don't care too much about individual accounts. You just keep trying the additional usernames and passwords that you have. And from a cybercriminal point of view, you're just trying to get into as many accounts as possible as opposed to particular accounts. There's also misinformation out there in terms of the defenses against credential stuffing. 
So there's erroneous advice that says that you should try and protect against credential stuffing by rate limiting IP addresses or by using mechanisms like CAPTCHA, the synthetic distorted text challenges and other types of challenges that websites show users trying to distinguish between bots and real human beings or trying to defend against credential stuffing by identifying bot signatures. And unfortunately, in 2019, and in fact, for the last several years, none of that really helps against sophisticated credential stuffing attacks. And the reason for that is because the toolkits and services that are available to create sophisticated credential stuffing may be created by very advanced cyber criminals, but then they can be used by anyone, including cyber criminals that don't have the level of sophistication to be able to create such tools in the first place. So that allows them to distribute their traffic across millions of different IP addresses to be able to use uh, mechanisms to solve CAPTCHA like optical character recognition and change their signatures so that they look like a different bot every time. I find that fascinating for the, the different elements that are involved in that. And I think later on in the podcast, we'll get to obviously how organizations can protect themselves. But when we get from the attacker's point of view, how does it kind of become evolved in this kind of uh, situation? It's a really interesting circumstance because it's a very sophisticated and complex supply chain, which is required in order to be able to create a credential stuffing attack that's going to be successful in taking over millions of accounts. It starts with the data breaches themselves of usernames and passwords. And like I was mentioning, you often obtain usernames and passwords from a given website in hashed form, because that's what the best practice is in terms of how to be able to store password information on a given website or uh, application. And you have to crack those passwords in order to be able to get at the plain text if you want to try and reuse those usernames and passwords on other sites where you want to take over accounts. So that's one set of activity. And There's a number of different skills and tools that are required to be able to implement that successfully from a cyber criminal point of view. But then if you want to bounce traffic off of many different IP addresses, that's where you need a botnet. And the creation of a botnet is also not easy to do. You have to discover serious vulnerabilities in operating systems and devices. You have to develop exploits to be able to use those vulnerabilities to take over the devices. Then you have to disseminate the uh, exploit, and then you have to create command and control systems to be able to manage that entire botnet. Once you've got access to that botnet, you have to use some type of script or credential stuffing tool to be able to tie the stolen usernames together with the IP addresses that you want to bounce your login attempts off of. And there are tools like Sentry MBA, which is the most popular credential stuffing tool that are available to do that. But you have to figure out how to use that tool on a particular website where you want to launch your credential stuffing attack. So there's another ecosystem of configurations that are available for Sentry MBA and other credential stuffing tools that customize the tool so that you can attack a given website or mobile API. We were talking about CAPTCHA solving before its own field of uh, software development to figure out how to automatically solve CAPTCHA. And there are cyber criminal services that will now do this using optical character recognition as well as using sweatshop-based approaches where human beings will actually solve the CAPTCHAs on behalf of the cyber criminals in various parts of the world. 
And once you've done all of that and taken over a number of accounts, you have to actually have a way of making money off of them. So you have to figure out what the downstream monetization scheme is going to look like. And in the case of gift card accounts that you've taken over, for example, often what that looks like is selling consolidated gift card balances on eBay or sites like raise.com. So all of these different steps require skill and they require work and they require time. But what has changed over the course of the last five to 10 years is that each of these is a specialized, commoditized, and federated skill set and set of activities where you can have different cyber criminals that focus on each step. And then it can all be offered as either individual services or consolidated services to other cyber criminals that just want to reap the benefits of all of the work that's been done. So you can basically get cybercrime as a service that pulls all of this together with very sophisticated techniques, but in a very simple way for other cyber criminals to be able to use and consume. That sounds like a lot of tools and resources that they have at their disposal. I kind of want to ask you a side point to this then. We're seeing data breaches happen, what feels like daily at this point, and is happening kind of widespread. When it comes to, obviously, with the credential stuffing, is there more of a blame on, blame might be a bit of a harsh word, but does it come down to organizational defenses, or does it come down to, say, how users approach their passwords and, and their usernames not being very strong or, or reusing? What, what kind of factors are we looking at here? One of the common phenomena that we see is that when a successful credential stuffing attack becomes public against a given organization, the organization will sometimes rush to put out a public statement that says that they haven't suffered a security breach. It's just the fault of their users for reusing their passwords across various sites. So let's say that you were able to dramatically improve that behavior. Let's say that you took 80% plus of your users on, say, just a given website where that many users were reusing passwords across multiple sites which had suffered data breaches, and you could dramatically change their behavior so that 50% of them stopped reusing passwords entirely. You would still have a major problem associated with credential stuffing if 40% of your users were still reusing their passwords. Of course, dramatically changing user behavior is something which is extremely difficult and time-consuming, and uh, it, it's not something that's going to happen overnight. So what that means is that there is a very direct relationship between what a company is doing to protect against credential stuffing attacks and whether or not they're going to suffer the effects of account takeover that comes from users reusing their passwords. Mm, it, it's interesting, isn't it, to kind of change that mindset of everyone because we all do it. You put one password here, it's just easy to remember. And then for your super secure accounts, you might have a different password, but it, it's getting that logic to have one for each and every single one. A thing I find interesting about credential stuffing, and I mentioned it in the intro, obviously, we're seeing more risks, new threats, new arrivals. It, it, it's constantly changing, but it seems like credential stuffing has always been a consistent. So why has it stood the test of time? The main reason is because all online account systems still revolve around passwords. And the number of online accounts that we have keeps increasing. The value in those accounts and the importance of them to our lives keeps increasing. And 
the federation of criminal activity and anonymous coordination that's now possible through the internet has allowed groups to specialize in a way that wasn't possible 20 years ago. So cyber criminals from any part of the world can now attack companies in any other part of the world, and they can do it pretty much with impunity, where it's very difficult to coordinate law enforcement's efforts, especially with smaller cyber criminal groups, to be able to go after accounts that they've taken over, where you often have very limited data that allows you to even identify who the cyber criminals were. So as long as we still have user accounts that are based on passwords and as long as we keep having data breaches and all of these factors seem to be increasing rather than even just staying at the same levels, credential stuffing is going to increase as a problem. I think now we can kind of divert the conversation to organizations then because we've mentioned it a couple of times and it does seem like a split. It comes down to the user but also how companies can deal with this. So what impact does credential stuffing have on how companies should protect themselves? I think that it's an illustration of how cybersecurity is expanding in its definition and its responsibilities to encompass more than just the traditional patching of vulnerabilities that security teams used to be responsible for. So it now includes a holistic defense of a company's users, accounts, and data against abuse and fraud. So Companies today have a responsibility to do everything that they can to prevent their users from choosing weak passwords, including reused passwords, and to protect them against the cyber criminals who are performing credential stuffing attacks. So an example of this is that the Federal Trade Commission a couple of years ago decided against a company called TaxSlayer in a credential stuffing case where 9,000 accounts were taken over because users were reusing their passwords. And what the FTC said was that TaxLayer was actually negligent in not providing adequate safeguards to be able to protect against that. So that's not the sort of thing that cybersecurity teams used to think about. They would pretty much say, as long as we have an account system where you have to provide the correct username and password in order to access that account, then that is proof that you deserve access to that account and should be given all of the privileges associated with the owner of that account. But now the problem is that if you supply the username and password, that in itself doesn't necessarily mean that you're the legitimate owner of that username and password. And companies need to see further than just correct credentials being provided. They need to be able to look at the way in which the application is being interacted with, look at the behavioral attributes associated with things like credential stuffing attacks and other fraud and abuse, and make sure that if there's an indication that these credentials are being used in a potentially fraudulent way, then that account is protected against what is probably cyber criminal activity as opposed to just allowing uh, that transaction through. Mm, definitely. It's because it's such an evolving industry, you, you've kind of got to evolve with the times and, and see how this is affecting people and how it's affecting applications and then implementing strategies to go along with that. So with that in mind and, and what you were just outlining, what should companies do to protect themselves from those issues? I think that cybersecurity in many ways is getting away from most companies' ability to uh, stay on top of all of the issues that the industry is aware of. 
So one of the things that you constantly hear about is the war for cybersecurity talent, that we need to have more students in schools studying cybersecurity. We have to have more software engineers and other technical professionals moving into cybersecurity because companies have such an appetite for hiring people into their cybersecurity groups. But the problem with this is that you've basically got companies fighting each other to hire individuals who are all going to go into each of those organizations to do all of the same things. So hiring thousands or millions of people to just perform commoditized activities, that's not a scalable model. And in fact, that cries out for a services-based approach. And so one of the trends that I see, and I think that companies that are at the forefront of doing cybersecurity very well are looking for ways to be able to receive cybersecurity outcomes as a service from various service providers, as opposed to trying to perform commoditized activities all themselves. And what that allows their cybersecurity teams to do then is focus on the areas that are unique to their business, where they can add the most value, and they're not spending time trying to reinvent the wheel in terms of things that other organizations can do on their behalf. Okay. Yeah, I agree with that. I think that makes perfect sense. So as we kind of wrap up the conversation here and, and everything that we, we've spoken about throughout this podcast, I think it's important to obviously look at the future as we kind of sign off here. So from your standpoint, what are your predictions for the fight against credential stuffing? It's a cat and mouse game, and it's only going to get more sophisticated over time. It's also going to change over time as we use passwords differently. It remains to be seen when we'll have a true replacement for passwords. There have been many different attempts to replace passwords, but even in systems where you see biometric controls being introduced or other modes of authentication, passwords are usually still present as a fallback mechanism, and that's what cybercriminals can exploit. If you can always get into an account through a password, then stolen passwords have value that's associated with them. And so I think uh, one of the trends that we're seeing is when you have passwords, create less friction for users by requiring them to use the password less frequently than they have before. And that's where multi-factor authentication comes in. So two-factor authentication and other forms of multi-factor authentication trade user inconvenience for increased security. And that's one of the reasons that users generally don't like it and don't use it in very large numbers. So we'll see over time how multi-factor authentication gets integrated into systems in more effective ways than uh, we see today. But even as all of those attributes change, it just shifts the attack surface for cyber criminals. Because as long as you provide a user interface and there's an incentive to take over accounts or to create fraud and abuse, there are always going to be opportunities for sophisticated techniques to be able to be used to imitate human behavior. And so while you can always solve certain types of security problems, fraud and abuse are much larger categories which companies will always have to manage. And so the way that we do that, the tools that we use and the applications that we protect and the attack surfaces that we focus on, all of that is going to uh, just change over time, but it's going to continue to be a constant battle. I think that's a perfect point to end on. Schumann, thank you so much for taking the time to talk to us and, and giving your insights. It's been uh, really fascinating learning 
all about this and getting your insights on all. Thanks so much, Max. Anytime. And thank you to everyone who took the time to listen to this podcast. I hope you got a lot out of it. If you want to find out more information, please head over to shapesecurity.com for more information on what we've discussed today. We'll be back soon with another podcast, but in the meantime, make sure you head on over to em360tech.com. You've been listening to the EM360 podcast. For more great content, head on over to em360tech.com. 